Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, colleague, and friend, Caitlin Cooper. Before we get started today, if you have not already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you. We want to get your feedback. We know this team is uh, is not very good right now. Hopefully better next year in, in some way, shape, and form with a, a more concrete direction. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Do you have a concrete direction this morning? We do have a concrete direction. I, I felt like I felt like these last three games, I don't even know if they should be named, but you know, the Pacers have trailed by at least 18 in each of the last three. And that's underselling the first two with a 30 point loss and a 40 point loss and a speaker catching on fire, perhaps because the speaker didn't want to watch the game anymore. I don't know who can say really, but I don't think that we really need to spend the listeners time this morning breaking down those games I don't know how you feel so I was somewhat inspired by the Oscars and decided that we were going to come up with some awards from this season some this could superlatives be very bad for my face it seems oh okay you're, oh, you're not inspired <laughs> that way never mind no no I actually didn't I didn't actually watch the Oscars I just came up with this as a, a topic and then over the back half of the show we're going to play some games so hopefully yeah. people can have some fun we're going to do something lighter today um and just look back at what this season has been and, and hopefully give people um, some lighter stuff to take in over the back end of this season. Yeah, I'm excited to jump in. Um, I was very ready to not luckily. I mean, I've been traveling uh, the last day and a half, so I'm back home. I've missed the last two games. I have to catch up on. I'm still um, I have heard and seen enough where I'm glad I have not watched them live is, uh, is basically the way that I'll put it. Um, where do you want to get started with this as we go into our Pacers superlatives? Okay, so the first category that we have, I think, is a pretty, actually, fairly competitive one. Most impressive performance from a rookie this season. And, like, just to go over some highlights, because I don't know what you picked. Like, we had Dwayne Washington Jr. set a franchise rookie record with seven made threes against the Pelicans. We had Kiefer Sykes make several big shots in overtime in a win over Golden State. We had Terry Taylor put up. 24 and 16 against the magic is like the only big on the roster in that game. Um, Isaiah Jackson's career high of 26 and 10. And then we had Duarte going off for 27 in the season opener. So I don't know if you picked any of those, but just wanted to point out that we have a good slate of, of rookie performances to choose. Yeah. From. It feels like half the damn roster is rookies, honestly, um, which is, is probably close. I'm looking right now. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. That's not half, but close enough. Um, I thought about the IJAX game versus the Clippers. I know that one was a little bit wonky. Um, not to say that he didn't have a good game, but just like there was like, I don't know the way that the, the game shook out. It was a little bit interesting. I wasn't sure what to make of that one. That was my second place. I took Duarte against Golden State when he had, he matched his career high with 27. It was really impactful. And I think it was a one point win. And that was before the team was uh, the team. So uh, you know, I mean, they were playing against a pretty good Golden State squad. I can't remember if everyone was there. Uh, I'm almost positive Steph played in that game. But uh, regardless, I just like seeing 
seeing Chris perform that well in a game that still mattered at the time against a contender, I thought was really uh, impressive and um, showcased a lot of his skills. He did some of the second side playmaking. He was, he was really, really darn good from three attacking the basket off closeouts, um, just showcasing all of his skills. So to me, that was the most impressive rookie performance. I'm very glad that you picked that game. I did not pick it, but it goes along with what I did pick. So I also picked Chris Duarte, but I picked the game that he played on the road two games before against the Clippers. Um, The Pacers played fairly miserably in that game, if people remember. I think they trailed by as many as 18 or 19 points, and I don't think they ever led. They got off to a very slow start in the first quarter, gave up a big high-scoring outing, and then late in the game, they were playing a kind of weird lineup with Goga and Sabonis in at the same time, and then they were, like, trying to play 1-3-1 zone, and Batum kept getting loose. But, like, the one silver lining to that and who kind of still made the game quasi-competitive at the end was Duarte. Um, I think he ended up finishing with 24, seven and six. And that was in part why I picked it because he was showing that he can make better decisions between, you know, the dribble pass and shoot mastering the nuance there. And like what you're saying, he did some nice things as a secondary connector, not even just dribbling to the basket, and like making wraparounds, but if he did get past second side connecting into the next action, which I thought was really nice to see. And the other reason why I picked it is because what you said happened in golden state, this was a nice little stretch for him on that road trip after he had come back from being out with COVID and then being out while his wife gave birth to their daughter that he came back and just hit a very nice stride. So yeah, he goes and plays the Warriors and had 27. Then they went to Phoenix and he had 17. Then they went down to New Orleans and obviously the stuff happened with Jonas Valanciunas and they're playing really small, but he still had 14. And I just felt for the entirety of that West Coast swing that he just looked like he had really found a groove in terms of just being very instinctual. Like I remember specifically from that Warriors game that there had been times earlier in the season where if he got blitzed, he would stay on ball too long. And the the Warriors were like blitzing the heck out of him in the second half. And he was getting off quickly, making patient reads. I mean, I remember another time where he had like a probe dribble and spun out of it to get baseline, stayed balanced, made the shot. um, And then had some really nice moments in the Pelicans game defensively in terms of his instincts. So because he put together several solid games in a row that is also why I went with Chris Duarte so um, fun to look back at that stretch and wish that he could have had more consistency there I mean obviously I think he had another good stretch of games between um, them playing at Cleveland on the night when Karras got traded and then when they went down to Atlanta and then they came back and played Cleveland again when he was playing with Tyrese but since then he's just really been in and out of the lineup because of the toe injury which is unfortunate but it'd been nice to see him get more minutes with Tyrese down the stretch but that just hasn't been possible but um I thought that was a fun category I agree too um which one do you want to jump to next Okay, so let's jump ahead to most impactful performance this season by a role player Oh, this one's easy for me. <laughs> I think, I think we're is... going to have the same one, but let's see. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had, a, it was a three-way tie for me for the same player for three different games. Uh, and I think I can lean one because it was the one that was actually a win. But O'Shea Brissett against Boston, um, like, has to be up there because he was amazing in that game. Um, but then also the Miami game, which was like, that That was the, why the fuck haven't you been playing me this entire time game? um from O'Shea early in the season that was on the 23rd they beat Miami by 11 I mean 23rd of October and uh he had 18 and 9 after I think that was his first game playing more than 10 minutes in like the entire season um and then 
the game against Minnesota too, which of course ended up losing, but he was, he was really damn good in that one as well. 22 and 13 displaying a lot of the same stuff from Boston. I'll let you elaborate on it because I'm pretty sure we had the same one. Right. I mean, I was tempted to appeal to the masses, Mark. I was tempted to appeal to the masses and pick Lance's 20 point out of body no. first quarter against the Nets. <laughs> no, but no, I, I, I didn't pick it because I ultimately had to go with most impactful. And while the, yes. the Nets, the Nets did adjust their defense as the game went on, and I don't want to diminish Lance, and that will still probably be one of the most memorable things that I think uh, yeah. about when I look back at this season. I too picked O'Shea Brissett. And those three games that you picked, what's interesting in all of them is he was playing at the for and he was manufacturing his, his own usage in all of those games yep. um, he ended up closing that game against the heat which was I thought one of the best performances that the prior iteration of this team played mm. um, and and really did well playing outside of Spain pick and rolls and making himself available and did similarly in the other two but I too picked his 27 point game against the Boston Celtics here recently in part because why it was impactful is how Boston actually altered what they aimed to do with Robert Williams. So Tyson, Robert Williams, he, he fortunately in that second quarter, when he made four of his threes caught the Tice defending at four minutes, which was a good break for him. However, typically Boston, as everybody probably knows by now is going to throw Robert Williams on the lower usage wing. So in prior games that had been miles Turner, or that had been Torrey Craig, depending upon if Sabonis was out there or not. And this game he's, he's guarding O'Shea with, um, Grant Williams defending Goga by the end of halftime they had flip-flopped that matchup and put Grant Williams on O'Shea and let Robert Williams start having to defend the screener and pick and roll rather than being a help defender because he had just played so well and they had to make some sort of adjustment then they ended up going even smaller with um, four wings out there and Jason Tatum was guarding O'Shea Brissett so that's kind of what you have to do to break that scheme and for them to actually, for him to have such an impact that they actually were willing to change who was defending who and get out of what their base system aims to do, I, I think speaks really well of O'Shea. And I just, that wasn't something that we saw in the prior two games. The, those types of shots were there. I mean, we did see it in brief from Torrey Craig in like the fourth quarter of the, the St. P game when he was really cutting nicely around the double teams around Sabonis and finding his own shots. But um, that's very important when you're seeing that type of coverage. And, and I'm going to remember O'Shea having that game when I think back to the season. Yep. So I'm glad that we were on the same page. We're really quite close in our picks so far. I'm impressed. Um, I agree. Um, let's just move ahead then to, well, let, let's, let's go to the not so nice award, the Razzie of, of the awards. What was the lowest point of the season? Where do you even begin with this one? Um, <laughs> they drilled up a lot of bedrock, Mark. Yeah, I, uh, I I contemplated many with this one. I, I thought about months, not weeks, because uh, that was just, I mean, that's the embodiment of the season. Um, I debated, um, shoot, what was I going to say? Um, I debated this AP. I decided on the athletic article on Miles coming out because that was just like, there had already been the Pacers are looking at shopping, you know, their, their, their core, you know, looking at moving on from miles Domas and, um, gosh, and, and Karis that coming out from the athletic, but then the miles story dropping a couple of days later or a day later, I can't remember. Oh, that was, that feels like forever, forever ago. Um, I think that's the one because that just like that whole next week and a half, was just like the 
it felt like the not that it, it, it probably seems unfair to say that it was like the implosion of the season because it had already been going poorly, but that was just not a fun week and a half of games. Um, and all the stuff that was coming out after that, you know, because Herb Simon has his uh thing which went great. Uh, I think it has to be that for me. I think it's funny that you picked this because I almost sent you a category ahead of time where I was going to say, what was your favorite soundbite or tagline from the season? And I was going to have you pick between weeks, not months. This ain't P. Um, manufacture that real star. And what was the other one that I had? Oh, I love this little team. I was going to have you pick between those four things. And in effect, you you just named them all. So um, yeah, the, the thing with the article that came out you're picking whenever it comes out that they're shopping them or the article about miles. Oh, the article about miles. For sure. Yeah. The thing. That, yeah. Because it was the discourse in the aftermath of that yeah. in part for me, because what we just said about O'Shea is true. I mean, and even into the, this ain't P game, like there was ways, there's always been ways in all of these games to find your own usage and, and in the way that Rick Carlisle sets the offense, that could have been a thing. It's clear that he wanted to be involved more at solo five in the screener. And later on, he said it was about role clarity. I, I'm not going to, you know, try to project what types of conversations he had had with Rick Carlisle and Sabonis and Kevin Pritchard and whatever else about what the entire intent of that was. But it started to turn out to be in like, well, if he could just play at solo five and it's like he's played minutes at solo five every game. Like, I'm not saying it's a big chunk or something, but he does it every night. And the last three playoff series that the Pacers were in, he was the starting solo five. Like, and I'm not saying that I think we can all agree that Nate McMillan did have some one and done hitchy offense. But to be honest, we've seen some of that one and done hitchy offense reemerge over the last month or so and games against opponents that switch, just like the Miami Heat were in that series. And not that Miles was playing, just pointing out that it isn't always because of coaching and system why. Uh, you can run one action and then the action stops because an opponent is switching. Some of that has to do with the players and what personnel is available and your ability to have a connector who can get you to the next thing or offer role gravity or offer some type of interior presence. And that hasn't been here because of what bigs they have available. And it wasn't necessarily the case that many seasons ago. Now, I don't want to put limits on Miles moving forward because I do think that Tyrese is a better guard than anybody he's played with in terms of playmaking and passing. And I do think that there will be more spacing out there for him. He's obviously not going to be sharing the floor at all anymore with Sabonis. So in terms of what he might do, it's possible he takes a step forward. But I felt like the entire discourse around that was um, awful. Yeah, not fun. There just wasn't a lot of accountability there. We'll just put it that way. So yeah, that, those, that time period, I went a little bit differently and actually picked a game, but I I like that you brought up all of those lovely bits of information where every time there was a tweet, somebody had to reply with, well, at least he loves this little team and whatever else. I'm glad we've moved past those days, but I actually said that you could pick your poison between the two losses to the Miami heat. Because the first one, I know we've talked about this before, but the first one, when there's no Jimmy Butler, there's no Bam, and it just felt like when you looked at what lineup the Heat was starting and the fact that Udonis Haslam actually logged some meaningful minutes in that game at the middle of the zone and the Pacers could do nothing against it, was that, you know, if they win this game, it means nothing. If they lose it, it means everything. And then after they lost it in the way that they did, where there's like on-court arguments happening, Sabonis is about ready to lose it with a referee, they're in a massive hole. Fans are booing them. 
And then a couple of days later, the article comes out that they're listening to offers on Miles Sabonis and Levert. And I just felt like, yeah, it felt like probably time that they are going to have to consider a different direction after you saw that based on the lead up. And then when they played the other heat game, just when you thought that there couldn't be a lower point, they get another chance at the heat without those two playing on national TV. And they just dig a massive hole. And like the irony of Jared Greenberg giving that sideline report where he's talking about having asked Rick Carlisle if he would agree to come to a team if he knew they would rebuild in the first year and then reporting that Rick Carlisle had said no. And meanwhile, the Heat are swarming Sabonis in the paint. Sabonis draws and dishes to Jeremy Lamb and Lamb passes or just passes up a wide open shot to drive into um Dwayne Dedman and just gets his shot completely recycled and the heat go to the other end and score like that play is the perfect commentary for what this season has been so you can pick either one of those I know a lot of people thought that the you know the big loss to Charlotte was the low point I felt like you know maybe the 23 point lead to Charlotte was the high point but yeah um, <laughs> so I, I would pick one of those but now we can head to the opposite end of the spectrum what was the highest point of the season? Uh, I am not sure I even have an answer for this one. Um, like like you just mentioned, I, I don't want to just use this as a as a way for me to to talk about my disappointment with the season, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I think it was the Charlotte game. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, like I think when optimism was the highest. Yeah. was like, when they had I a 23-point lead in the first game of the year. No, like, really. And I know I think some people look at this and be like, oh, you're being reductive, and that's fair. But I just – that losing that game set up everything for the next, like, month and a half for how things went. And uh, it's unfair to characterize that as, as like, the reason everything went wrong. But it's uh, – I mean, them falling apart – in the second half and particularly that third quarter was just emblematic of what would go on for, for that era of the team or that quarter of the team as they tried to figure things out. And um, yeah, that's where I'm going to go. I think that was the highest point of the season. Cause at halftime, I remember I'm talking to you and Tom and I'm like, this is great. Like, this is, this is what we pictured. I, I like, I, I mean, they, everything was flowing offensively. The defense looked solid. Um you just kind of could envision it and you're like, yeah, like this team might, might be like kind of decent this year. And then uh, Charlotte had other plans. Yeah. And then by the time they got to the fourth quarter, I think Jeremy Lamb was in the closing lineup. And then my least favorite time honored tradition from the last three seasons occurred where we just get a debate into infinity, whether the right big was on the floor during crunch time. And if that was the sole reason why a team lost, like, I don't even care which one of them was out there. Like if, you know, if they closed with miles Turner against Utah, if, if he hadn't been ejected, I think that they would have closed with miles Turner against Utah because he was just having that type of game and made way more sense for the matchup. Sabonis was not having a great game in that game versus, you know, the ones that they, close with Sabonis in like I just that's the thing that I'm going to be most I should have had an award of thing that I'm going to be most relieved to leave in the past I think it's going to be that because I just I don't know how you can determine to blame just on one or the other of them being on the bench for why they lost and the fact that one or the other of them had to be on a bench and that continued for three years as kind of commentary 
on its own. But I actually went in a slightly different direction in part because of what my irritation with that last little bit was and said that I think the highest point of the season was the day after the trade deadline. Mainly because I was just relieved that we didn't have to talk about any of that anymore because that had become the entirety of what this season was for since the minute that athletic article came out that they were shopping those guys. And if we're being honest, even before that, because I think most people felt like the season was somewhat dead in the water and they weren't going to turn it around that like none of the games mattered anymore. Even like for players who might've still been on the team, it was just like, Oh, well this team's purgatorial and there's nothing else going on, but to constantly talk about who they're going to trade. So the day after the trade deadline was over when they finally made a choice and moved on from some of the players and went in a different direction. And because Tyrese just looked really solid in those first four games when he debuted. So that gave some something for people to hang on to at least for a time until this recent stretch where it's just kind of become somewhat unwatchable these last three or four games. And I'm not putting that on Tyrese. I'm just saying like, it's the end of the year for a losing team and that's what it looks like. So that's what I picked. And that is a very good choice. Um, where do we want to go next? Let's see. Oh, we have somewhat of a coaching question that I threw in here. Best in-game adjustment from any game? Uh, I'll be completely honest. I'm not sure I have one for this. Uh, I I need – I this is the only – like I was trying to think of something for this one when we were preparing, and – I'm not sure where to go on this one. Okay. Well, I ended up just going with in part because I've seen some other teams doing this recently. So I brought this one up before, but when they were in Utah, Pacers obviously hand the jazz their first home loss of the season. That seemed like that might be, I mean, I'm not going to say it was a turning point, but it was a, a brighter spot for the team in the early going of the season. And while miles did have the really impressive block against Rudy and had a really solid all around game, Rudy was getting loose on lobs over and over again in that game. I think he had like seven lob dunks. um, And that was against predominantly, I think like five of them were against Miles, two of them were against Sabonis. And that wasn't necessarily because of them. They just weren't defending it all that well as a team. So when Miles went to the bench in the third quarter for his normal break and Sabonis was out there, they shifted Sabonis off to the lower usage wing, put Keelan Martin on Rudy Gobert, and then switched anything that he was involved in the screening action so they could take Um, that fluidity away and then just kind of lived with what they were going to have to do with uh, Mike Conley and and Donovan Mitchell in isolation. And they didn't score in those situations. The jazz really struggled with what they were going to do against that. And I think headed into the playoffs, that's somewhat the book on what you're going to have to do against Utah. You got to take away one or the other. And Rudy's not really going to do, he does a little bit more this season, but he's not going to do a lot against those switches. Um, A lot of times he struggles to gain position. I mean, there was times in that little stretch in the third quarter where they were throwing TJ McConnell and Duarte onto him on switches and the Jazz weren't even looking um, to get him the ball. So that's where I went with best end of game adjustment. But um, it was tough to come up with some, not because I think that the coaching staff hasn't done things, but some of them like that actually ended up resulting in them getting stops when they needed to, when their best rim protector wasn't on the floor. And some of the other stuff they've done while I think like in my Caitlin land that it's kind of cool, like didn't necessarily ultimately result in a win or having a major impact on the game. So I I do have a random one that I do like It's not, I don't know if, I don't think it was an in-game adjustment. I think it's just something that they threw in as a wrinkle when things were working better with, uh, with Lance. Uh, I love like the X screens that they would do, like the interior screens that they'd set up. Um, 
I, yeah, I think they it, I do think that. Pretty, yeah, yeah, they call there. That's the play call for it is yeah. X. They've been doing that pretty much the whole season. Anytime a team goes the three, two or two, three zone, that's kind of their zone pet play. Yeah. They'll have the two that. guys come in and screen the middle. I mean, it, it typically works because it just makes it so hard. Like the heat covered it. Well, that was in part why they couldn't even get uh, anything going in that game because they slid out from under that pretty well and called it out. But a lot of times teams don't see it. Then they also move the big along the baseline to the corner where the other big is standing in the corner. So then you create a numbers advantage. So that's pretty tough to guard. Um, next award. What was in your opinion, the most impressive or the best 40 point game of the season? I know two of these guys don't play for the Pacers anymore, but I think this is the first time in franchise history that three players in the same season have scored 40 or more points. So I thought that was going to be fun to kind of look back at. And I know that, you know, a lot of players have scored 40 and 50 points here lately in the NBA, but in terms of just the Pacers, it doesn't happen very often. Um, I went with Miles just for pure saying shock factor seems very mean, but just like I, I mean, that game came kind of out of nowhere, especially considering how his season had gone to start. I mean, like he had some real inconsistency in the beginning of the year offensively and then had the 40 piece against Washington. And I think what made it um impressive is that it was like like we've talked about like it was a lot of like this is what we want to see like obviously you can't score 40 every night but like okay just like doing some of the things that to make himself available in the offense like that was that was awesome like watching that game live back when watching live games felt like a realistic and fun thing to do with this team um I mean that was that was a special game uh even though they ended up losing I really I really loved that game and it was cool to see that from Miles yeah, I mean, of the three, that was the only one that I wrote an article about, mm-hmm. in part because of what you're saying. Like, it was like the the clouds parted and the sun was finally shining through on the fact that, hey, this is what you can do as a floor spacing stretch big who's a cutter and is a really attacking the offensive glass because he was just so aggressive in every respect of that game. Like if he caught the ball, I remember him having one three in the corner that I wrote about where he didn't even dip the ball down. Like he just caught it and shot it and made it. I mean, obviously he was just in a total zone in that game, but you know, I think that that was the potential of what, because I mean, I think Sabonis had 26 or 30 in that game. Like that was both of them operating at their peak levels and envisioning what they could be to play off of each other. Cause I mean, there was a few, I think they opened the game with a post set with first a bonus. That's actually four miles. That was a back screen off of Karras to get him go- cutting to the basket. The wizards ended up covering it up. Strangely enough, I think you're going to be surprised with which one I picked. Um, in part because like every year I never pick like all stars. Cause I just don't get that super into it, but whenever there ends up being debates about it, I always say if all things are equal in terms of like what numbers the guy's putting up and and wins and losses, and you're trying to make a choice between which of the two to put on your reserve ballot, I always like to err on the side of who's demanding the most game planning, who's seeing the most intense coverage over somebody. And like, I don't want this to sound derogatory because it's, it's hard to score points in the NBA and be efficient, but over somebody who's being more of a gap filler on a good, on a really good team, where maybe you're not the top option and, and you're scoring more away from what that game planning is. So I actually picked Karis in part because when I went back and looked at these three games, 
a lot of what we're saying about miles was like, Hey, nobody's guarding you. Be aggressive, take your shots, find ways for you to get shots. Even when you don't have the ball, if that means crashing the offensive glass, whatever. So bonus, they're playing the jazz without Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside was pretty miserable in that game. Like I give Lance and Sabonis a lot of credit because there was a lot of craft demonstrated in how they were orchestrating the pick and roll that made things tough on what defenders were available. And there were times where Sabonis saw a crowd around the basket and he was, you know, of, of the three, he was the most efficient. He was 18 to 22 from the field, but Karras saw the most escalated coverage after halftime when he had gone off the way that he did. He was seeing a lot of blitzing and, you know, I think that there's three levels. Like you have to be good enough in the NBA to demand somebody to come and double you. Then the next evolution is being good enough to pass out of it. And the third evolution is being like, you're that guy and you know how to navigate around that to the point where you still can score. And Karras was doing some of that in the second half against Chicago. I mean, no, no Caruso, no Lonzo ball. But, I mean, they, they were coming up and putting multiple defenders on the ball. And I will say it was a very Karras game because there were a few times where it's like, okay, there was a lot of no-pass possessions. There's times where Duarte was wide open in the corner and one of his shots he just dribbled in to try to get up more points and Vucevic blocked him when he could have made a pass. But, you know, that was Karras's last game in a Pacers uniform, scoring over 40. And that was a high note to remember him on given what some – of what I felt like the dynamic was between him and what the system was this season. And it's just not really necessarily feeling like a fit. And that was like full on Karis Levert. So while I wasn't necessarily surprised because he has had a 50 point game in the past, I think that that was probably the most impressive of the three. Cause if you had asked me, I'd probably be like on the right night. Sabonis can have that game. And, you know, miles did what he needed to do, but Levert was seeing the most defense. So that's why I went with Karis. Um, have we reached the end? Oh no, we have one more award to hand out. Um, most surprising demonstration of a skill. Oh, yes. I like this one. Uh, I'm going Terry Taylor. Um, either I kind of want to go the, and it's, it's rebounding. I want to go him against Orlando or him against Chicago because he was just like, he was insane on the glass in those games. He had eight offensive rebounds in the game against Chicago, 16, uh, entirely against Orlando. Um, and I just remember like, I didn't really know fully what to think of him. You know, he'd played some small minutes and been interesting in games prior. Um, but then he came out and performed like that in close games playing 36 plus minutes in each. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. This is Terry Taylor. And, uh, yeah, I think that's where I would go with this one. I know that's a very random niche one. But no, no, I, I think that I think that's a good one. I think it's funny and probably speaks a lot about both of us for what I picked because I picked O'Shea in the game against Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, the behind the back dribble shaking Daniel Tice from the oh, corner, yes. getting to the rim and drawing contact. Like, was, I didn't know. I didn't the... know. O'Shea, I didn't know O'Shea had that in him, Mark. I didn't know. I did not either. That was nuts. Um, I actually I contemplated the uh, the the dunk he had last week. That was awesome. The one where, yeah. like, the yeah, oh god, he's the behind the back into a, a reverse dunk. I mean, that was definitely the highlight of the season. If I had picked one, that that yeah. was that was the moment that I think the most people are going to remember. Um, but that concludes our awards. So pe- hopefully, people enjoyed that segment two. Are you ready for this? I am ready. Okay, I have devised some trivia for us in segment two. I obviously know the answers, so. Um, I counted up and there's going to be a third section and there's 40 possible points that you can get. Oh, wow. 
And I've decided, Mark, that in order to make this interesting, because if we just play it without a goal in mind, I I don't know if you're going to feel the pressure. So if you get 30 points, here's what your reward is going to be. I'm going to let you tweet any food take you want from my handle. Oh, wow. Okay. So big, big, big incentives on the line here. Okay, so I think some of these are easier than other ones, and some of them I did somewhat tongue-in-cheek. So question number one. I wish we had some crashing music here. How many players have appeared in a regular season game for the Pacers this season? Oh, this is a great question. Not rostered, not rostered. Have actually played at least a minute of basketball. I think it's 29. Is it 29? It's 27. Ah, man, so close. So one question wrong. Okay, this one is worth a potential 11 points. Are you ready for this? This is probably the most important question that you've discussed on this podcast all year. There are five players this season who have posted a single game plus minus higher than 25 in a game. Who are they? And bonus points if you know what game it happened during. Wow. And I'm going to give you three strikes. Okay. So you, you get to guess the five players, guess what game it happened in, and you get three strikes. Because you uh, know how important single game plus minus is, right, Mark? It's the most important, yes. Um, I mean, Terry Taylor's definitely done it. No. What? That is incorrect. Oh, you wow. have a strike. You have a oh, strike. Oh, man. Uh, this is way harder when you uh, are doing it. Um, did O'Shea do it? No, you have two oh strikes. O'Shea did have, he was plus 25 in a game, but never exceeded 25. Wow. I mean, I guess I'll just go, did Domas do it? No. What? <laughs> you what? lost all 11 points. How did, okay. So this is crazy. And this is why I picked this question, Mark, because this is to make a point. I don't know who needs to hear this point, but we're going to make it. <laughs> is he about six foot five? No hair? I mean, who can say? Um, (laughs) So Jalen Smith was plus 27 in the game in Orlando, which he did have a really nice game. He he was 15 and 15 and then ended up getting ejected. But he was plus 27 on the road in Orlando. I forgot that he got ejected. Yeah. Yeah, that, That is one. The next player, Justin Anderson. What the? What? Okay. This is why he's starting. Okay. Was well, yes. I mean, if you have this highest single game plus minus, that was Justin Anderson plus 28 in the recent blowout win over Portland. Okay. So G game, yeah. So yes. So next up, Malcolm Brogdon and Justin Holiday both exceeded plus 25 in the blowout win earlier this season over the Chicago Bulls when I think that they held the Bulls to like 70-something points mm-hmm. and they played a lot of zones. So Malcolm and Justin both reached the threshold. And then Miles Turner was plus 32 and the Pacers blowout win over the New Orleans Pelicans, which if you recall, that was kind of a crucial pivot point game because the starters had all been benched in the prior game in the fourth quarter against Charlotte. They came back home and Rick Carlisle was like, you know, I'm not going to call a bunch of plays. And that was like the one game where he didn't stand up and was mostly sitting on the sidelines and let them play random through Sabonis. Sabonis had like 20 extra touches in that game. And then afterwards, when he was asked, he was like, well, Sabonis was open. 
but miles was plus 32. I think miles, I was like five of seven from the field, but, um, that was a good win for the team. It seemed like they were going to head in somewhat of a different direction, but that particular change, I guess Sabonis wasn't open more games after that. Cause it didn't hold for very long, but, um, then miles was also plus 26 in the win over the New York Knicks the night before the athletic article came out about him being frustrated with being a glorified role player. So there you have it. I mean, that might be the starting lineup next year. I mean, not Justin because Justin plays for the Kings now, but. But Hey, with plus minuses like that, how can we, how can we lose? How can Um, we, how can we look past it? So you lost those 11 points. So you're not on the board yet, but the next question, a follow-up. Who led the team in total plus minus this season so far? Uh, damn. I I mean I don't blame you if you get this wrong. I don't blame <laughs> you. See, it, it's gonna make it seem like I never check this stuff, but like I just never look at plus minus. But why would you check this stuff, Mark? <laughs> well, it's, it's part of my job, but yeah, I uh I mean it's is it somebody off the bench? Because I the starting lineup is just not good enough to actually. It is. It is someone off the bench. Ooh, the pressure is mounting. Uh, wow. This is so hard. There, there's just dead air here, Mark. I'm okay. I'm gonna go with uh, just because I, I'm, you know, I have to play my favorites. Is it, is it Terry Taylor? No. I mean, we're uh, talking total plus minus for the whole season, and the winner is. I wish we had a drum roll. Jeremy Lamb. What? It's, it's Jeremy? Yeah. Plus 44 in 613 minutes. You can't be serious right now. It was Jeremy? Yes, it's Jeremy. Second place, silver medal, goes to Buddy Heald, who is plus 19 in 679 minutes. So okay, Buddy Heald has already played more minutes than Jeremy Lamb. And third place, bronze medal, goes to Sabonis, who is plus 13 and 1,632 minutes. So there you have it. This stat is bullshit. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like the <laughs> shout out Jeremy Lamb. Do you know uh, how many guesses it would have taken me other than knowing that Jeremy Lamb was plus 19 in the win over OKC and was like solidly plus in the game over the Hornets when they benched the starters and the bench like made a run. Do you know how many guesses it would have taken me to get to Jeremy Lamb leading this team? I would have gone through half plus the roster before. We, I would have guessed the mod caver before we went to Jeremy Lamb. So um, <laughs> Reggie Perry. <laughs> yes. Pacers legend. Nate Hinton. No. Um, okay. So the next one, I think that you have a good chance in this one. The okay. Pacers have won nine road games this season. Who were those wins against? And I'll give you three strikes. You'll get a point for everyone that you get right. Well, that first Miami game they won was on the road, right? No, that was at home. So that's one strike. Wow. Um, I mean, I should remember. It's not like there were enough wins to to differentiate. Um, Although the one against Chicago was was at United Center. Yes, that's a point. You're on the board. Ooh, uh, They beat Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City. Yes. Um, Got to get the easy ones out of the way. They beat Orlando in Orlando. Yes. Um, What other teams are in the NBA? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to look at the record. I am just pulling up 
<laughs> basketball reference so I can look at what teams are in the NBA. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Did they beat New Orleans in New Orleans? No. That was the Jonas Valanciunas bulldozer game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How many more guys? You have two strikes. Have? You have, have two, two strikes? strikes. Oh, wow. This is bad. Um, oh, they beat Houston in Houston. Yes. Okay. Um, they beat San Antonio in San Antonio. Yes, that was another recent recent road win to put a feather in their cap. They did not beat the Clippers in Los Angeles. No, wait. They did beat the Clippers in Los Angeles. No, they didn't. They, they, oh, they trailed that whole game. Oh. So no. you you have plus you have five points from that round. The games that you're five. missing yeah. is the win over Utah when they handed the Jazz their first home loss of the season. Mm-hmm. They won and Rudy against got thrown out of the game. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They won over the Lakers in LA when Karis had like the 20 point fourth quarter and they were defending with Carmelo and drop inexplicably. And funny. Russell Westbrook got like pointed out for not weaking Karis. Um, the Warriors game when Kiefer made the big shots in overtime. And then the other one that you did not come up with was they beat the Kings on the road in a game where they had more turnovers than assists. And I believe shot like 20% from three, but somehow won that game. So there you have it. Those are the nine wins. Okay. So this is another one that I think that you, you will have some luck in. You will again, get three strikes. This is worth potential of nine points. The Pacers have led by 20 or more points in nine games this season. Name those games. Well, the Charlotte game, the very first game of the season. Yes. Uh, the Boston game. Yes. Um, led by twenty or more. There were not a lot of uh, a lot of big wins like this. Um, led by twenty or more. I'm trying to think. This is very difficult. Oh, the Chicago game. Yes. Um. Damn, this is hard. I mean, they the Portland game. Yes. See, you're you're just you're on a roll. You have four straight <laughs> correct answers. Well, with how few wins there actually were, you'd think that it should be even easier. Well, they just had to lead by twenty. It doesn't mean they kept the lead, Mark. Well, yeah. <laughs> But the problem is they were never good enough to be to even get up on teams 20. Um, wow. How many games do I have to guess still? There's nine. You've guessed four. There's, how are there five more than this? Um, didn't they lead by 20 against the Knicks? Yes. Yeah. I was in the game where Duarte ate Evan Fournier's lunch. No, no. That was the one earlier in the season when they uh, all start, all five starters, I believe, scored in double figures. Yeah. So it would be easier for me to tell you the ones where they were down by 20. Um, I'm trying to keep this positive, Mark. I know, but I just, it's just, I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, did they do it against OKC? No. That's one strike. Did they do it against Houston? No. Uh, I, I actually thought that was going to be one from the game when Miles and Karis were the only starters. I thought that was one, but then I looked and they didn't lead by 20. I had actually forgotten that they that was fairly close up until the fourth quarter when they went to zone. Yeah. Um, 
man. The San Antonio game, they looked yes. funny. Yeah. Yes. Because um, that was just like a total blowout. I remember I was asked to predict on the Daily Ding who if uh, San, if Pop would get his 1,000th win or not. Oh, no. This was actually – they actually led by 20 in the prior game that they won oh. against San Antonio. Wow. But you still got it right. You still got it right. I'm, I'm proud of myself. Uh, they did not lead by 20 against Washington. All their games since Washington have been wonky and close. Is that your guess? I'm not going to guess Washington. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I will not. Um, but I want to. Uh, who else did they go up 20 against? Were they up 20 in a Detroit game and then let a big comeback happen? No, that's incorrect. Three strikes oh. and you're out. The three Damn that it. you're missing, which you got six points, so you're up to 11 points is they led big over the New Orleans Pelicans when Miles Turner led the team in single game plus minus. We literally already talked about that game. Damn. Okay. And they also led by 20 in the win over Philadelphia when Justin was like making every shot in sight. And then here recently, they also were up 21 on the Cleveland Cavaliers before they ended up giving up the lead. So the next question, final trivia question before we move into segment three. Since the trade deadline, can you correctly rank the available centers and total minutes played? So among Jalen, Terry Taylor, Goga, and Ijax, can you correctly rank them from highest to lowest in minutes played? Is this it, is worth a point. Wow. Um, since the trade deadline? Yes. Okay. I am pretty sure it's Jalen number one. Yes, he is number one. Then it's Terry. That is correct. And then it's Goga. Yes. And then it's Ajax. You nailed it. Yeah, you got a point. So we are up to 12 points. I, I know injury reports. Yes, there we go. All right. All right. Yes. A big part of our, our jobs this season. Yeah. Segment three, I have devised. We call this lineup fact or fiction. Oh, God. So I have come up with various lineups from this season, and you have to tell me if the lineup is real or fake. It's it's a 50-50 chance, one point available for each. So here we go. I'm going to tell you in advance, these are some niche lineups, Mark. We can't make this easy. So I call this the negative space lineup. Lineup number one, Brad Wanamaker, TJ McConnell, Torrey Craig, Isaiah Jackson, Sabonis. I don't think it's possible to put less spacing on the floor than that. Oh, that the- lineup actually happened. It did. Do you know what yeah. game it happened in? Uh, it was the game that Ajax got injured in, wasn't it? Like the first one? Correct. They ran this lineup yeah. in the fourth quarter against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. So you get a point. That is a real lineup, believe it or not. Okay, I call these the least amount of playmaking possible lineups, and I've created two. You tell me if they actually occurred in a game. Brad Wanamaker, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, Torrey Craig, DeMontis Sabonis. Did those five players play at the same time, Mark? That one didn't happen. Did it? I don't you would like so. to think that it did it, but that is a real oh, lineup, it Mark. Wow. It occurred in the in the win they had over Sacramento when, for whatever reason, they there was no Malcolm Brogdon. He was out with, I believe, strep throat, and they refused to stagger TJ McConnell and Karis LeVert as primary. So they were running Brad Wanamaker with three wings who don't. Can, can we just take a moment to appreciate too? Like, I 
I know Brad Wanamaker is a guard in stature and listing. He was a four in college. Like he played the four at Pittsburgh when he was six at six, three, like I, and it shows it does show. So I just, I, for people who are not as familiar with, with watching Brad Wanamaker play. No. Yes. There's, there's not, there's not a lot of playmaking going on there. Yes. Well, and it, doesn't this feel like another lifetime ago? Like it this feels really like does. a relic from the past. I feel like we're on an archaeological dig here. <laughs> so the next lineup that I have in this same category, did this, is this lineup real? Brad Wanamaker, Chris Duarte, Justin Holiday, Tory Craig, and Miles Turner. I, oh, I don't that, know. That, that's that, that's it's hard to find less less passing than that. That one one hundred percent happened, and that was because I want to say that's the one where uh, Brad Wanamaker isolated on Justin Holiday late shot clock, uh, forced the switch for Justin Holiday. I'm mean, not for not Justin for Drew Holiday to be on him against Milwaukee, right? No, lineup? this happened in the game in Chicago, but you're correct oh, that this was a real lineup that was attempted and played this season. So another point for you. You're up to 13 points. Wow. Okay, this one, the all-rookie lineup. Have we ever seen Kiefer Sykes, Chris Duarte, Dwayne Washington Jr., Terry Taylor, and Isaiah Jackson play together at the same time? No. You're correct. We have not. That's plus 14. I actually thought that we might have, but when I looked it up, it had not happened. We've seen four of the rookies play at the same time, but how never many all minutes five. of Ijax and Terry played together? I feel like they haven't really played together much. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a lot, but I have. I don't have that number in front of me. Okay, the next lineup: All G League. Have we seen Kiefer Sykes, Dwayne Washington Jr., Lance Stevenson, Justin Anderson, and Terry Taylor play all at the same time? Oh, I. Th- I want to say no, but it would have happened in the last two games if I, and of course I haven't watched those ones yet. Um, I know Terry played 30 plus minutes. I know Justin has played 30 plus minutes at some point in the last two games. I'm going to say yes, just because it seems entirely possible. And that, yeah, there were only like nine players two games ago. Yeah, it happened. It happened. It indeed happened. It happened in the blowout win over Portland in the fourth quarter wow. where we had, I mean, I think that the Mad Ants should have got a win for that game over Portland <laughs> yes. as well. So we are at plus 15. Now we head into the round that I call fun with centers. <laughs> so <laughs> fun for who? I mean, who can say? Yeah. So we have, I'm not sure what their nickname should be, if it's Gog Bonus or Saga. It was a Saga when we saw them both playing together at times. Has yeah, I this... always went with Gog Bonus. That was, that was what Okay, Gog Bonus. Uh, have we seen these five players play at the same time? TJ McConnell, Karis LeVert, Keelan Martin, Goga Batadze, DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, we saw that happen. Yes, we did. We did. We saw the foursome of McConnell, Levert, Goga, and Sabonis for over 20 minutes this season, if you can believe it. So that is, you're up to 16 points. Now, I don't know if these two have a nickname or not. Maybe they'll have a nickname next season. We can hope. It must be either Gogner or Turga. I'm not (laughs) sure which. Turga. Yeah, I'm having trouble recovering from those two nicknames alone. Okay. McConnell. Duarte, Justin, Goga, Miles Turner. Have we ever seen that in existence? Can you repeat that one? TJ McConnell, Chris Duarte, 
Justin Holiday, Goga Batadze, Miles Turner. Have we seen Gogner? I think we have. We have indeed seen Gogner. I I racked my brain because on NBA.com, it didn't show that we had seen Gogner, but I thought that we had seen it a brief moment in the wild this year. And when I got on PVP stats, they do register two minutes played for this lineup. Now, I, for the life of me, can't remember exactly what game it happened in, but I did remember that it happened. So you're at 17 points. Like you're on a roll with these, these lineup combinations. Just as a fun fact, how many minutes do you think that Goga has played with Miles since he was drafted. Uh, so three seasons. How, how many how many minutes do you think Goga's played with Miles? It's less than a hundred. Oh yes, by a factor of ten. It is ten minutes, Mark. Whoa! Wow, that's it. Okay, wow. I wow. I so bonus and Goga that. have played over two hundred. Yeah, but, they played together. Yeah, and it, it's funny because when they drafted Goga. I remembered I wrote an article where I was like, everybody's talking about Turner and Sabonis. I'm kind of interested to see what happens if you play TJ Warren with Sabonis, with TJ at the four, and if you play Goga with Miles and spots. And that is not the rotation that they went with. So we've seen very little Gogner um, out on the court. Next up, have we seen, this is one from the more recent times, if, if it ever occurred, it would have happened in recent times. Kiefer, Dwayne, Terry Taylor, Ijax, Goga. No. Oh, yes, indeed, we have. That, is, have. A, that is a true lineup that occurred during garbage time against the Orlando Magic, where we saw Terry Taylor briefly make a cameo at the three with an Ijax, Goga front court. So that's insane. Believe it or not, that one occurred. All right. Now we head into this territory. Have we ever seen? There is no Goga. There is no Sabonis. There is no Miles. Have we seen these five players play together? Karis LeVert, Chris Duarte, Dwayne Washington Jr., Justin Holiday, Torrey Craig. Yes. Correct. We did see that lineup against the Orlando Magic when Isaiah Jackson sprained his ankle within the first two minutes of the game. Terry Taylor was the only other available big, so Torrey Craig played at center. 18 points. All right, this is our last lineup that we have. I call it M-Jax. The Pacers have a new chance at a new M-Jax, Mark. Lavert. Wait, hold on a second. I cannot let you get away with that. We don't want another M-Jax. All right. Maybe we do. I'm not I'm not even a fan. I cannot know. Mark Jackson, his play style sucked. He's overrated. That's I, why we need a new one. <laughs> no. I just erase him from memory, man. Like, no, no. Uh, and it's just very questionable stuff. What if I tell you that no one in this lineup is going to post up 30 feet from the basket? Then will you accept it? Fine. Okay. We have Levert, Chris Duarte. Tory Craig, Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner. Have we seen M. Jax? I don't think we've seen that happen. We have not seen. We have not seen this lineup, and M. Jax did not play any minutes this season, which is a bummer for us all. Yeah. That we Very never nice. got a chance to see that, and now Miles Turner's been ruled out for the final seven games. So that completes our game. You got 18 points. I felt like 30 might have been possible if not for the single game plus minus question, which you got zero points on out of a that possible 11. Me, yeah. 
that one really slowed down your momentum. Otherwise, I mean, you pretty much dominated the lineup factor fiction. As it turns out, truth is stranger than fiction as it applies to that. And the plus minus one was kind of just self-indulgent on my part. Like, I probably shouldn't have expected you to know that Justin Anderson was once plus 28 in a game, but that was somewhat recently. But that brings it into our games. Hopefully people enjoyed listening to that and taking down a trip down memory lane from what this season has been and can look back at it and enjoy some of what was some memorable good moments and also laugh at what, what was some not so good moments now that we're at the other side of it. Remember when Tori Craig was running ball screens a lot? Yes. Remember when Justin Holiday was also doing that sometimes? Oh man, what a season. Well, Caitlin, I think that is a perfect place to leave off. I appreciate you setting this up. This was a lot of fun. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. We're going to be trying to uh, to weave in as much fun stuff as we can as the season continues to wind down. As it already, I mean, it already has wound down, but uh, it, you know, winding down to the to its its resting place, I guess we'll call it. Um, Caitlin, I will talk to you later. To everyone listening, thank you for listening, and most importantly, have a good rest of your day.